When Wang Gong asked me to do a talk from this chapter and speak from about my own practice, I was like, okay, I'm going to get outed. Um, and because, you know, in the threefold practice, everybody knows meditation is the most important part. And uh, except in certain situations, like retreat or being here, um, meditation is really hard for me. Um, the main reason being because I have a tendency to fall asleep. Um, and to the degree that I went to one retreat, not with Wang Gong, and I decided not to take my awake medita- my medication to see what would happen. And I literally slept sitting down up straight for the, the whole meditation retreat. Um, it was pretty amazing, but didn't feel very enlightening. Um, so, but I found this one chapter that was like, oh, now this matches up with both my practice and my thinking and my life and my inclination. So here we go. Uh, and I, and I labeled the talk, keep an open mind. So this is practice. Uh, the Scriptures of the Founding Master, number three practice, and it's number 27. I'm going to read it to you. Uh, hopefully it won't be too boring. Um, the Founding Master said, If you wish to become a well-rounded person and attain wide knowledge and vision, you absolutely must not cling to a single point of view. Virtually everyone today clings to a single point of view, which prevents them from achieving the perfect way. Confucian scholars are attached to the Confucian customs, Buddhist monks to Buddhist customs, people active in other religions or society for their part to what they know and do. Thus, they lack a broad understanding of right and wrong, benefit and harm, and do not know how to adapt and apply other people's dharmas. In consequence, they do not manage to become well-rounded persons. A disciple asked if people abandon their own traditions and doctrines, wouldn't they lose their principal convictions? The founding master said, I'm not saying that you should lose your principal convictions and adopt other dharmas indiscriminately, but rather that you should widely apply other dharmas after you've established your principal convictions. You must understand this point well. This has been my practice long before I took up the dharma um, and continues to be my practice uh, all the way through since I started. Um, and you might, it, it falls under, I guess, inquiry into human affairs and universal principles um, and choice in action. Uh, I think I'm more proud of those sides of things uh, in, my, in my practice. Um, but my practice on inquiry is to, is to never have a fixed view as best I possibly can. So, I don't, I don't know how much to say about this, but this part, but I have two vocations in life at this point. One is that I'm a psychoanalyst in practice for maybe close to 40 years, and I'm a Buddhist practitioner for more like 20 years. And... Um, and I take them both equally seriously, I'd have to say. 
but I have more time with the psychoanalytic uh, part of my practice. And what I do in that, so psychoanalysis has many points of view, and, and every one of them is right and the other one is wrong. And so what I do is I refuse to take, read just one point of view. I'm constantly reading different points of view as best I can. And then, and it's not that I know everything, whether it comes to Buddhism or psychoanalysis. It's not about being an authority. It's about letting these things penetrate inside me without my trying to force anything and allow whatever comes forth naturally in my, in my work as a psychoanalyst, psychotherapist, and, as, and especially in my work as a supervisor and teacher of psychoanalysis, because that's where I'm able to express the integration of these things the best. Here, you know, Wang Gong labels me a Dharma vending machine. <laughs> but, and, but that's kind of, um, I, I have read a lot of Dharma. Uh, I have, uh, I continue to continuously read Dharma. I continuously read the Red Book. I continuously read other types of scriptures, other points of view. Uh, I've taken uh, online a full class to, that supposedly you become a Geshe. I'm not. Um, you know, uh, I've, I've listened to Zen. I, I spent my first uh, probably five or six years in Buddhism listening constantly to podcasts on Theravada and Buddhism. Um, you know, I've listened to lots of podcasts on Zen Buddhism. Um, I, I continue to search and search and search um, in hope of getting enlightened that way and it hasn't worked. But it, it, it keeps me from getting stuck in one point of view um, and that's something I'm kind of allergic to in a way. And I have been, in fact, my whole life. Um, when I was in middle school, uh, there was, you know, there was a certain way to dress. I would dress exactly the opposite, um, you know, and got away with it. Didn't get beaten up all the time, but I just refused to follow the trend, um, you know. And for better or worse, you know, uh, the only thing I'm fanatical about is fanaticism, which I still I have to work on. But you know, um, but the Buddha said, no fixed views. The third Zen patriarch said, those with no preferences have no suffering. Um, I am nowhere near that. Uh, I, I have a preference for being not wrong, which is not the same as being right. Um, uh, but what I find for my Buddhist practice is not that I know everything, truly, um, but that when I'm in our retreats and I get a chance to have uh, meetings with individual practitioners, I can somehow intuitively bring that information to those interviews. Just like when I'm doing psychotherapy, just like when I'm doing supervision, it comes from inside of me without having to reference any, but it isn't that I'm quoting all the time. It isn't that I'm so smart. It isn't that I've got it all inside of me and, you know, it's, it's that somehow 
my way of practicing is to keep trying to not get stuck. To keep trying to broaden and broaden and broaden. And I don't know if, if you know, if that'll bring me enlightenment or just confusion or more suffering, but it's my way. Um, and, you know, I think that, um, and I think Buddhism in particular, though, every, like, like Master Sotisan said, you know, you find different groups with, they find what they think is the best form of, of practice, the best form of philosophy, and they, and they exclude everyone else, which is really a shame because this is a practice that is meant to save the world. Save the world through practice of an open mind, through the practice of love and compassion and, and, and precepts, but precepts that are about caring for one another, not about being right, not about being rigid, not about, you know, commandments. Not that I'm trying to criticize the Ten Commandments because they got a lot to them too. But, you know, in Buddhism, there is, it's not like, Buddhist groups usually are fighting with each other, going to war over, oh no, Tibetan is better, oh no, Theravadan, no Zen, no Wan Buddhism. You know, we don't need to fight with each other because we're all going in the same direction. And we're all trying to free our minds from greed, hatred, and delusion. And so, so I would say, you know, yes, my practice is mainly inquiry into human affairs and universal principles. I spend most of my time on that. Um, but I also practice um, kind of timeless Zen and placeless Zen. I try and constantly work on acceptance, work on a form, what I think of as mindfulness of in the moment, whatever's happening, saying yes to rather than reacting to. Am I successful? I got a long way to go, um, but I keep working at it. I, I'm not giving up. Um, that seems to me that for me, you know, if I could do more mind practice and meditation, I certainly would. I'd love to be able to. I mean, I'd love to have that ability, and I certainly am not trying to discourage anybody else from from practicing as much as they possibly can. But like Sotesan in this chapter points out over and over and over again. Our practice has to be balanced between the three, the threefold practice. And so really it has to be timeless and placeless and as well as seated meditation. So keep an open mind. Keep trying, you know, I just got a down, I just bought an audible book, uh, the Bible, which I know some of, but mostly not. So I want to learn that. I, I don't mean I want to learn it. I want to expose myself. You know, I want to see what are people talking about when they refer to this, that, and the other. What does it actually say? You know, um, and I'm reading another one on the Gnostic Gospels. Uh, I'm not turning to Christianity. Um, I'm just curious. I just want to, you know, uh, not to mention, you know, five or six books on Buddhism that are ongoing too. Um, so, you know, um, I wouldn't advise anybody to do it my way. I mean, except me. That's what always worked for me because I'm too lazy to actually study something strenuously. You know, when I was in college, instead of reading something once, 
and getting it. If I could have, I would have, I think. I'd read each thing five times. Not because I was so great and wonderful, but that was the only way to get it, to get it all the way. Or maybe not all the way even then. So this is, this is this continuous practice of my life of expansion, of learning, and trying to make it happen naturally if I can, rather than force anything into my head because I just don't seem to succeed. You know, maybe I need a little water torture, but you know, uh, so again, everyone has to find their own road to this practice and you should feel free to work within it as master and he gives really good advice on how to do it and how to follow uh, how to practice in one Buddhism and you know and how to emphasize different parts of the practice and clearly all three of the threefold practice are very important so thank you for bearing witness with me and listening to my both strengths and weaknesses and um, and Kamsamnida. Kamsamnida.